You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people. And their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Now, we're not going to have a lot of dead space here because, you know, this isn't a typical episode. And we'll just get right to this part where it goes... Ta-da! Welcome to issue 635 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with a friend. I got to tell you, everybody, um, people are in bed asleep because we've got to get up early in the morning and make a trek to Nerdtacular 2015 in the beautiful Snowbird Resort of Salt Lake City, Utah. If you didn't think there was a ski resort in Utah, man, you should go check it out. It's uh, it's a pretty awesome place, and we're going to be out there all this week, uh, hanging out with friends and fans and our podcasting buddies over at the Frog Pants Network. So no Rodrigo, no Matthew, of course, no Zach. Uh, and of course, Rodrigo and Matthew are sleeping because they have to kind of get up really early in the morning so we can get on the road and go. If you're going to Nerdtacular 2015, oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to see you there. If you are going, make sure you come to our panel because we'll be giving away uh, prizes we got trivia contests, and of course, you get to ask your questions and all those good things. Um, I'll be hosting a panel on comics taking over the world, as well as moderating a panel on gaming and how gaming has come to be where it's at today. Now, I'm going to go ahead and post the Major Spoilers podcast panel in the Major Spoilers podcast network uh, next week when we get back and when we get the files uh, from the uh, people uh, providing the event. But I will say... If you would like to watch the event live, there are a couple of ways you can do it. Uh, as soon as I get the posting information, I'll put it up on the Major Spoilers website if I get it in time. If not, then I'm sorry. But if you go to Alpha Geek Radio, Alpha Geek Radio, they've got all the stuff there that you can click and watch and listen to and stream and all that. If you also have a Roku device, look for the Alpha Geek Radio channel. Sign up for that. You'll get all four of the channels, video channels and audio channels there. And you can stream that right there on your TV and you'll be able to watch the entire Frog Pants Nerdtacular event right from your living room. You won't get the cool stuff, but you'll be able to see everything that we do there. Also, if you haven't, there is a Major Spoilers uh, channel on Roku that you can get all the Major Spoilers podcast network as well. So uh, go check that out. It's, it's really kind of cool. And I thank everybody who's helped us out uh, with that. 
Real quickly, I want to throw it out. Thank you to our major spoilers VIPs for making this episode happen. It's because of you that I am up doing this interview with Dr. Peter Coogan. And this week we're talking about comic books as sequential art. And if you thought you understood comics, if you thought you understood how to read a comic, wait until he drops some knowledge on you this week about some of the best comics out there. And it might change your opinion or give you a chance or an idea to go back and read these books again and look at them from a different light. So why don't we just go ahead and jump into this interview with Dr. Peter Coogan. I want to welcome this week Dr. Peter Coogan. You know him. He's been on this show many a times. Dr. Coogan, welcome. Howdy, Stephen. And uh, you've uh, had a busy time. How was the San Diego Comic-Con this year? San Diego Comic-Con was great. Uh, You know, we had our normal um, 16 panels and so forth. I had a lot of, personally, I had a lot of fun. I met some locals uh, who took us out to some local places. And uh, we actually were literally up all night on Friday by accident. That that can be fun and fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And a friend of mine, a former student of mine, um, works for Nerdist. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, so it was it was neat seeing her. I'm sure you've had this kind of situation where you have a student who mm-hmm. you help mm-hmm. and then goes on to you know have a career doing yes. things that, that they're interested in. And mm-hmm. right now she's working as an assistant in, in Nerdist, you know, just got uh, merged or picked up or whatever by Legendary. Legendary and so yeah. she's working there as an assistant, but she has her own ideas and is clearly going to you know, launch into them. So oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I've got a, I've got one of my students who uh, was a really great student, and then she moved to, um, to Seattle, and she didn't ki- kind of know what she was going to do there, and she ended up uh, working for a production company that does like the Alaska State Troopers show, and she was a producer of that for many years, and has gone on to do some other really cool things, and she's just awesome. I love it when yep. when students do that, and and really far exceed your expectations. Yeah. So all listeners. Keep in touch with your professors. Yeah, That's yeah. all I'm saying. It is awesome. We love hearing about the successes. So, Dr. Coogan, what are we going to talk about uh, this month? It's, well, a, it's almost the end of the month, but we're glad to get you in this month. Yeah, sure. We're going to talk about reading comics as sequential art. Okay. So, this is something that – so, for years, I read these these floppy things, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. they were hardbound, but they were they – were, they were, it's a combination of words and pictures. Right. Okay. Then, I taught a class – graduate course in comics theory and then i started reading comics i started reading comics as sequential art so looking at the ways in which sequence right mm-hmm. juxtaposition mm-hmm. so things that mcleod talks about in theory gronstein and right and uh um neil Cohn. it's mm-hmm. those relationships between panels between pages that if you pay careful attention to them they convey thematic meaning. And mm-hmm. so we're going to talk about a couple, uh, several big books here, um, Dark Knight Returns, right. Mouse, mm-hmm. uh, books like that that we all know. Um, but if you read them carefully, you can get meaning out of them that you can't get just by reading them as words and pictures. Yes. And and it really kind of spans – I mean it's not just these. I mean a lot of people will point to Watchmen and, and look at how the parallel – um, art and storytelling and the sequential art really helps convey yes. the story. But it could be something as simple. I remember one time it just kind of hit me over the head, uh, just the use of gutters. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget what the name of the, the book was off the top of my head, but uh, the character gets hit over the head and passes out. And so 
On one page, the gutters are white. As he's getting hit and is passing out, the gutters turn to gray. And then in the flashback sequence that he has, while he's passed out, the gutters are completely black. Yes. And then when he wakes up, it's back to white again. And I thought that was fantastic. And it was a great way. And again, I probably about the same time that I started reading uh, Scott McCloud's book, uh, Understanding Comics, um, it really opened up this idea of how do we examine this beyond just a and from what a lot of people consider comic books, just this throwaway medium. Uh, how do you really get more from the story than just words and pictures? Yes, exactly. And so um, let's start off with Batman the Dark Knight Returns. Okay, one of my okay. favorites. Right. Now, I, I read this book where this, this idiot, just a <laughs> jackass, his name is Pete Coogan, <laughs> and he talked about how Batman the Dark Knight Returns is about the deconstruction of the superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, he... he he returns. He's he's got his costume on. One of the first things that happens is his chevron, his bat right. symbol, mm-hmm. gets torn apart. Right, right, and it ends in a cave. Um, he's not a superhero anymore. He's not Batman. Mm-hmm. He's not uh, Bruce Wayne anymore. He's mm-hmm. boss, but boss isn't really a superhero identity. Doesn't have a costume. He's going to train these these youngins to care, you know, to do something. Yeah, but it 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 looks like. It, it looks like it's over. The superhero is over, right? Right. And it looks like Miller's deconstructing the genre, okay? Saying that superheroes don't work mm-hmm. in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, at the end, he's boss. He's not a superhero. He doesn't have mission, powers, or identity, right? And identity, the costume, is the most important marker. So if you read Batman Dark Knight Returns as words and pictures, that's the meaning that you take away, right? Right. Okay. And if you've seen the, uh, have you seen the animated version of Batman Dark Knight? Yes. And I was going to bring that up because, you know, for years, and I read uh, Dark Knight Returns in like 87, something like that. It was one of the very first early uh, comics that I was really, when I was really getting into comics that I picked up and read and just had this awesome revelation of what can be done Mm -hmm. with story. But it wasn't until I saw the animated series that there's a sequence of deconstructing Batman and bringing him back, that was something I had never caught in the comics before, even though I had read that book and loved that book. And I've probably read it, you know, 50, 100 times and never caught that until I saw it in the animated version. Yeah. And and for me, watching the animated version, it is about the deconstruction of the superhero. Mm-hmm. It's about the death, the end of the superhero. Right. But... Batman Dark Knight Returns is, in fact, about the resiliency of the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. Miller is saying that the genre may change, it may evolve, but it will resist its deconstruction. It will resist its destruction. And, and so the, the way you do this is you look at the images. So, you know, we all know the way that uh, Dark Knight opens. Mm-hmm. It's got a bunch of tiny images, right? right. Mm-hmm. So you you go on with that for a while. So that world, it's a small world, mm-hmm. right? It's it's too small for Bruce Wayne, or right? You know, yeah. In fact, and a lot of Bruce Wayne is, um, you know, when he's in the in the race car and is talking about it's right. a good day to die. You know, right. all his framing is very close, exactly. Close extreme and, uh, shots, and it's a, it's a small world. Everything's tight and little. Now, the first full page is that you flip the page and you get that reveal, and mm-hmm. it's. You know, it's Batman, right? And he's saying, you know, this should be agony. I should be a mass. Right. 
uh, uh, you know, muscles spent. Um, and, and he's huge. It's mm-hmm. this, oh, I remember I turned that page and it was exciting. <laughs> well, the thing is, who gets full page spreads? Who gets full page, you know, panels in Batman? Well, there's Batman, right? Batman and Robin, you know, there's mm-hmm. the hugging image. Right. There's, Superman. there's Superman mm-hmm. with the, the, the tank. Mm-hmm. We must not remind them there were, there are giants in the, right. nobody else. Well, well, what? So if you read these, connect them and think about, well, why? Well, it's because, and actually, um, Yin, Gordon says this at one point and Yindel repeats it. He's too big, too big, mm-hmm. right? That, that the superhero is too big, for he's bigger than the city. He's the biggest thing there is. Right. And literally in the book, he's the biggest thing there is. Is do you think Miller's also saying these superheroes are even too big for comics? Because mm-hmm. this is coming out just right on the cusp of the first Batman movie, on the success of the Superman movie. Um do you do you think that he's he's saying other things beyond just what we're what we're seeing as as a comic book as a as a medium? I think he's. I don't think he's really talking in some ways about comic books at all, but just talking about the superhero show. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, if you look at it, the only other character who gets a, a spread like that, a full page spread, is it's an sob, mm-hmm. and he's he's. Um, it's just after he clipped off the guy's fingers, and he's standing there with a shotgun. Right. And that's. Then it's not a full page picture, but it's a half kind of a half page picture. Yeah, but he's, he's the completely stands out away from right. everything else in the story. And and of course, it ends in the cave with a bunch of those guys, right? The mm-hmm. SOBs. And so that's the next generation of superheroes. You know, maybe they're going to be grim and gritty guys with guns, right? Yeah. But that's what the cave means at the end. It's not about the death and burial of the superhero genre, right? You bury Bruce Wayne, you bury Batman and he comes back up, but it's not about, it's about, it's the new womb. Mm -hmm. It's the new birthing place. He's going to train them. The genre is going to change. Absolutely. But it's going to continue on. It's going to be, because there's a Robin there and there's guys with Batman on their face, right? right? The bat symbol on their face. So, so if you read it in, in a more literary way, uh, you know, uh, character setting, icon, theme, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, you'll read it as the deconstruction superhero. If right. you pay close attention to the relationships of the pictures and the panels and who gets what, it's about the resilience of the superhero genre. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I want to give you a reverse one. Now. Okay. Marvels. All right. Okay. Great, great so, book. Great book, right? It Al- really Alex seems, Ross. Yeah. Alex Ross and, uh, and uh, Kurt Busiek. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be about working to reestablish the genre. Mm-hmm. Make, I mean, did you, it, I'm sure you probably bought it when it came out. Oh, yeah, it, definitely. It was exciting. Yes, it was. I mean, it was in a, in a uh, hard uh, cover format. I mean, not like hardcover, but it had a, a right. hard stock format. The great art of the photographer and, uh, and storytellers as they move through. It it was something that was different, and you're right. It it I think the point of it was at the time was we're invigorating and telling you how great uh, Marvel superheroes were and how great they're going to continue to be in the future. Absolutely, and and there's that one scene where Galactus it's a it's a full panel mm-hmm. page, and yeah. Galactus gets knocked off the Baxter Building, and he stops and he stands up on midair, and you know 
it, it revives wonder. Yeah. It's, it's like being back in 1965 yeah. and exper- re-experiencing mm-hmm. the original, um, you know, the original Kirby and, uh, and Lee Fantastic Four and, and mm-hmm. all of that. So it, it, it brings things together in a way that, um, that hadn't been done before. But, and again, again, I've read, I wrote, <laughs> rather, um, <laughs> an analysis of Marvels as yeah. this re- reconstruction of the superhero genre, this mm-hmm. revivification, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not what happens if you read it as sequential art. Okay. Now, there's a, there's a central motif in the book. Um, you see it early on when the Human Torch first appears. Yes. Um, you see – so the Human Torch appears, and it's a vertical slide. Yes. Or it's a vertical panel. Mm-hmm. So um, – and, and the Submariner is also introduced vertically. Okay. And on those same pages, human beings are in horizontal panels. Huh. Okay, so what it's saying is that there's a difference between them, the Marvels, and us. And this is J. Jonah Jameson's argument. And Marvels is, in fact, proof that J. Jonah Jameson is always right. right. You can't trust them. Right. And so so that's one thing. And, And when Captain America gets introduced, it's horizontal. Hmm. So you have Captain America... And yeah. he's presented as being one of us, right? Mm-hmm. And he's in these horizontal panels. And then, right after Captain America gets introduced, when, um, when the Human Torch and Namor go off and fight the Japanese in a tunnel, yes. how would you think it's vertical or do you think it's horizontal? Man, I don't have the book in front of me right now, but I'm going to bet... Oh, man. I would say it's probably horizontal, yeah. Why? Because they're with us. Mm -hmm. So, vertical versus horizontal is is a simple opposition, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the the marvels are different from us, so they appear vertically. But when they're with us, it appears horizontally. Okay, so it's a real simple thing, right? Now, there's another vertical thing that happens. Okay. And so it's it's again it's right with the human torch. It's the first time you see him, mm-hmm. first time he lights up, mm-hmm. and it's three vertical panels, okay. and they descend. And this motif of three vertical panels on a page, where the first vertical panel is up and to the left, second vertical panel is in the middle of the page, and the third vertical panel is down and to the right. Versions of this appear again and again in Marvels. If you can represent that musically, it'd be Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Yeah. It's, that's what it is. And that appears repeatedly. I call it the three-panel decline. Hmm. Because it seems to argue that something's wrong here. Something's going to decline. And if you look at the very last page, so I, when I first read it, I didn't know who Danny Ketched was. Sure. And so, actually, when I when I wrote that in my book, I really hadn't investigated Danny Ketch at all. I didn't I didn't pick up on that little thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know who Danny Ketch is, right? Well, I'm not as big a Marvel person as everybody thinks, but well, 
He's the <laughs> evil ghostwriter. Yeah. He is the, you know, the post-watchman, evil, grim and gritty, mm-hmm. ghostwriter, torching people. He, like, that's the worst of superheroes, right? right? So at the very end, it looks like Phil and his assistant and Danny Catch, which is almost kind of like a family picture, right, is mm-hmm. out there. That looks like the sun is coming out from behind the clouds. Mm-hmm. No, Same. no, it's not. The sun is going behind the clouds mm. because superheroes are about to get dark. Interesting. And so Marvel's is not really about the reconstruction of the superheroes. It's about this decline into ultraviolence. It's not a happy ending to the book. Well, it's I mean – isn't that also kind of uh, telegraphed in issue four where the cover is, yes, it's Spider-Man's mask, but the focus yeah. is definitely the Green Goblin yeah. and Gwen Stacy there. And you know that that is not of all moments in uh, comic history, that that is not a moment that is recognized as something happy and pleasant. It's something that is scary and sad. Right. And, and- not happy golden times that we remember from the from the uh, high, heyday of the Silver Age. Yeah, and Busiek specifically dates the end of the Silver Age to the death of Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. So, his point here is that um, for the people who live in the Marvel Universe, superheroes are not good. <laughs> you, yeah. don't, you don't want to live there. You don't want to be around them. They punch walls and have bricks fall fly out and hit you in the eye. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that is a different way of reading. It's more complex. Yeah. But unless you pay careful attention to the relationship of the panels, which I did not the first 10 times I read it. Oh, yeah. You don't get that at all. The argument is not made in the words. And it's not made in the pictures. It's made in the sequence. The relationship of the pictures to each other. Okay, so now I'm going to going to give another. I, one. I was looking in. I'm, I'm I'm looking at this final issue in the guided view over on Comicsology, and uh, you know the newspaper. Mm-hmm. You know because you're thinking, oh, this is morning. This is the sunrise, and you're saying right. sunset. And I'm trying to look in, and unfortunately, even a guided view, if you zoom in all the way, it doesn't say whether it's the evening edition or the morning edition oh, of that's the newspaper. An interesting question. I actually have that. I have a scan of that exact page. So let me look. Yeah, it's um, talking about Ant-Man and Long Wasp. Long Island. Uh, yeah. I don't think it actually yeah, says I don't think evening. it. It's, and I'm not saying it's evening. I'm saying that the sun is going behind the clouds. Right. Oh, okay, okay. Not that the sun is coming out. But considering, you know, again, considering the uh delivery of the paper and and everything. Right. Yeah, it would be. It's a not a not a good thing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, oh, that's, let me, that's, now, that's let me ask you this. his wife and uh, his assistant's taking a picture. So okay. go ahead, please. Well, let me ask you this. So you've come up – I mean, this is your hypothesis. This is what you've written about. Have you had Busick or or Ross or Miller or whoever contact you or had other um, educators talk about this and say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I mean, because, you know, there's this – this is all great and it's fascinating and it does give you a, a different take on what's going on, but maybe a cigar is just a cigar or do you think it is beyond that? Sure. Well, there's a couple of things. I haven't actually, um, I haven't actually done that. I, I, I do have Busick's email address. I've had him on panels. He, mm-hmm. he contributed to a book. So okay. this is something I should, I should, uh, check with him to sure. make sure. But, you know, in a sense, it doesn't matter. 
the author the author's intent when i say this is what busiek's saying what i mean is this is what the text's saying sure 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 so you know the the author's intent is irrelevant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. although it's not necessarily no irrelevant. i mean but we've talked about we've yeah. talked about the author's intent before and we've talked about the problems with it and you know once it's released it's no longer the it's no longer the creator's creation it's the audience's right. interpretation of that regardless exactly yeah um let's uh let's go into watchman okay um, so in watchman uh the first issue it has a number of what i call establishment panels mm-hmm. and this is uh, a technique that uh kirby used um there's a great establishment panel in uh, when medusa is introduced and so it's a square panel it takes up about two-thirds of the page mm-hmm. kirby used it repeatedly as a way of establishing who a character was so it's the first time you see medusa it's uh it's a, in the fantastic four issue like i think it's around 42 or 44, and she's, she's lying on this couch, and she uses her hair to pick up Sandman, and you know she's sexy and dangerous and powerful, right? Uh-huh. So yeah. it establishes who she is. Well, Watchmen, the first issue or first chapter of Watchmen, has establishment panels. Now, with Rorschach… It's Rorschach coming in through the window, the broken mm-hmm. window. He's mm-hmm. coming into the comedian's apartment, right? And you have a superhero in costume who's coming in, and he's above the city. Right. Okay? And the panel is at the top of the page. Okay? The next one you have is the – oh, and, and also there are four vertical panels – where Rorschach is looking through the closets and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. So you have five panels on the page, uh, and you have the establishment panel at the top and so forth. Well, the one of Dan, or Night Owl, is underground, so you have structural opposition. Mm-hmm. He's not in his costume, but he's sitting next to it. Same shape of the panel, same page that, except they're reversed. You have four vertical panels, small panels on top, and then down. And so he's a superhero out of costume, underground. Right. They're opposites. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then Vite, you have it's, – it's the same setup as Dan, except it only has three panels on top, and then the establishment panel. His panel is on the bottom. He's out of costume, but he's wearing purple and gold. Which mm-hmm. is his costume colors, right. but he's on top of the city, mm-hmm. so he has things in common with Rorschach, right? But he also has things in common with Dan. But Dan and Rorschach have things in common because they have the same number of panels on the page. Yeah. Now John, when he's introduced, if you remember that, it's a large vertical, vertical. panel mm-hmm. where he's standing above, and mm-hmm. it has three other. Panels. Right. So he has that in common with Vite. And is he in his costume or is he out of his costume? Well, he's still active in the sense that he works for the government. Right. But his body is his costume. So he's out of his costume. But his body is his costume. So he's in his costume. Right. Caught in between both. Right. So if you look at this, who else gets an establishment panel? Nobody. Right. Right. And and you've got things where Dan and Rorschach are linked. Mm Mm-hmm. And Vite and John are linked, right? They're both the Superman. Right. Okay. Um, and, 
and these, these are going to end up in opposition. Now, at the, the end, the last, you know, uh, in, the, in the final chapter, Veidt says, you know, he just has explained his, his plan, you know, and he says, let's compromise. What? You know, so he says, you can't get away with it. Will you expose me, undoing the peace millions died for, kill me, risking subsequent investigation, morally in your checkmate like Blake? Let's right. compromise. And you, what? And then John says, logically, I'm afraid he's right. Exposing this plot, he exposed this plot and destroy any chance of peace, dooming Earth to worse destruction. On Mars, you, you Lori, demonstrate a life's value. If we would preserve life here, we must remain silent. And Lori says, never tell anyone? We really have to buy this? Jesus, he was right. All we did was fail to stop him saving Earth. Jesus, she doesn't make a decision, though. Right. Dan says, okay, count me in. We say nothing. Rorschach, joking, of course. So who gets to make the decision? Dan, Rorschach, John, and Vite. Mm-hmm. Who got establishment panels? All three Those of were them. characters. Yeah. The superheroine is decentered from the genre, mm-hmm. right? She's not relevant to making the decisions. Interesting. So that's a way in which there is an argument made about the superhero genre mm-hmm. through the sequential art. Fascinating. The Watchmen is just a fascinating book just by yeah. itself because. I mean, I mentioned before there's this whole symmetry in the storytelling of the visuals and the panels and how I think by the time you hit issue six, then it all starts to you hit a double page spread in the in the center of uh, chapter Mm -hmm. six. And then it all backs itself out uh, the other direction where basically and I'm looking here at the last page, it's essentially uh, the same as the first page. But in the the symmetry, the symmetrical. Yeah. Panel layout, and and the fact that Vite is you know it's X marks the spot because mm-hmm. you look at that center panel, mm-hmm. and the interesting thing is that's not in the center of the book. Oh really? Okay. It's in chapter six. It's oh yeah, in chapter center six. of chapter six. Right. It's decentered. Mm-hmm. It's off center. Yeah. So yes, they are making Moore and Gibbons are making an argument about the supervillain and the centrality of the supervillain to the genre. Right, mm-hmm. and they're doing it using the arrangement of the panels, the sequential artist. It is, the, I mean, I mean oh, you yeah. could, you I could, have when I teach, <laughs> we go through Watchmen page by page. Yeah, because this uh, is such a deep book. I mean, we reviewed yeah. it years and years ago and had a deep discussion about it multiple times on the Major Spoilers podcast, and I could still go back through it today and see things that were missed and see interpretations and representations. Uh, throughout this thing, I mean, all the th- all three of the books that you've mentioned, um, really are fascinating from that from that perspective. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about about Batwoman. Okay. Okay. So uh, this you're talking is, about the the series Batwoman. Uh, I'm by, talking uh, about the initial um, the new Batwoman. Yeah. Um, it came out in Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple years. Well, it's been more yeah, than a couple like, years now. Seven years ago, or something. Uh, like Two thousand nine, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. number eight fifty four. So, yeah. it, what's so you know, Batwoman. This is what I talk about: the difference between the female superhero and the superheroine. Mm-hmm. The female superhero is, you know, Batwoman is Batman with breasts. Mm-hmm. 
she's Katie, Katie Kane and, and, and she's a kind of a duplicate of Batman. It's She-Hulk. It's, it's the original Miss Marvel. And, and it's a, it's a brand spreading thing. They don't have their kind of own, they're not their own characters, right? They're very, you know, very sexualized and very, um, um, they sort of serve the male gaze. Right. Okay. Now, the first issue where Batwoman appears, she's shown kicking this this criminal, and she's wearing a three-inch heel, right? Very practical for fighting crime. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's and then you turn the page, and you have another cover where she's wearing a boot that you would actually go fight crime in, right? Right. So what they're saying is, we're going to move from this image of Batwoman to a different image of Batwoman. Right, you know, in the first image, her leg is up, you know, mm-hmm. her breast is out. In the right. second image, admittedly, she's, but she's coming at the viewer, mm-hmm. and 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 it doesn't it doesn't accentuate um, her body in the same way. Mm-hmm. So right there, they announce we're doing something different here. Now, in the in the first issue, repeatedly, Batwoman or a Batwoman image, her, her chevron. They have a, they have a series of panels that um, that kind of make a bat image. Mm-hmm. These appear in the center of the page, right? Over and over and over again, and yeah. they're typically colored red and black. Mm-hmm. Red and black are Batwoman's colors. Mm-hmm. What what the writer and artists are doing here, Rucka and, and J.H. Williams, are they're recentering the superheroine. They're saying the superheroine is central to the genre. The opposite of what Moore and They're asserting right. a centrality. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and what's interesting is this is a Batwoman who's not in the Bat family. Right. So she has an origin where she sees a Bat, and it's Batman. Right, but it's Batman hasn't saved her. She's mm-hmm. saved herself. Right, right. She's about to get mugged, and and she saves herself. But but Batman appears in the sky, and 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 the bat signal, and so it's a reproduction, and that's when she gets the idea. She had been going out and trying to do vigilante things, and it hadn't quite mm-hmm. worked out because she didn't have the identity. Mm-hmm. So then she gets the identity from Batman. But, you know, she's never part of that Batman family. Yeah. Okay. So another thing that happens in this to, to recenter the heroine is uh, – and this is more of a literary reading. Um, okay. The first time Batman meets her, he says how many covens there are in, in Gotham, and he's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Batwoman is right. And he also tells her to get rid of her hair mm-hmm. because some criminal is going to grab her hair – and, of course, later on, that thing happens, and it comes loose. Mm-hmm. So what she's done is she's taken – she's got red hair, she's got a red chevron, she's mm-hmm. got red boots, and she's got red lipstick. So the red hair and the red lipstick are female. Right. So she's asserting herself as female, right? Right. But, but these are things that work for her. It's taking something that's supposed to be a weakness, her hair – and turning it into a weapon. And one of the first things you see her do is she she meets a criminal and she's going to get she wants to get some information from him. Mm-hmm. Now, 
you know, what does Batman do to get information from somebody? Oh, throw him off the roof, beats the crap out of him. And she reaches down with her hand. It's this very gentle thing. And, you know, she says, you know, whisper it to me. And it looks like she's going to kiss him. Mm -hmm. She's not, (laughs) but it looks like she is. And so it's a, it's a much different approach. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in that page, you again get that Batwoman image that runs throughout. So um, another thing they do is they establish repeatedly that she has her own fighting style. Right. Okay. And they do this by using a series of sort of jagged cut panels Mm -hmm. that show her in action that surround the villain. Right. So, And that's something I've never seen that with Batman. Right. Yeah. And obviously there's Batman. Oh, no, no. I mean, yeah. J.H. Williams just took this. Yeah. I mean, I remember when the series first came out, that's all people could talk about was the way that he used the panel to help yeah. convey the story or tell the story or just move things through the story. Even, you know, like simple dance sequences yeah. where you've got panels inside the musical notes are fantastic. Exactly. And 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 again, with those with those fighting panels, those are all red colored, mm-hmm. which is her color. Um, now. Another thing they do um, is this great stylistic thing where there's a different style, art style for night and day. Mm -hmm. And so that shows that she has this night and day life like any superhero. Right. But again, it's, it's a different style. It's something that is unique. To the character. I mean, maybe J.H. Williams has drawn other comic books in the same fashion, but I don't think so. Um, you know how when you see headquarters, right? Right. And you see, uh, and it's typically a side cut, mm-hmm. right? You know, you see the Baxter building and they cut oh, the yeah, side yeah. out. You see, yeah. For, for Batwoman, it's above. Mm-hmm. So what J.H. Williams is saying here is, She's different from the men. She's a superheroine. I'm taking a different angle on it. And so these things kind of combine to say that that um, this is a different character. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, no. And uh, listeners, if I'm not responding, it's because I'm sitting here. I'm looking at artwork from you know, from Batwoman, from Watchmen, everything. I'm nodding my head going, yes, yes. Oh yes. I see this. I see exactly what you're saying. And and if you, if you want to look at this, I mean, just even doing a simple search online for like, um, Batwoman panel, JH Williams, the third, you'll find a lot of these things, exactly what we're talking about, uh, or just go and get the original series. So yes, this is, this is right on. It's readily available. It's readily, you can find this very, very easily. Yeah. So they, they, are mainly you're using Batwoman to make an argument about gendering in the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that, you know, this is an anti women in refrigerators comic book. Yes. Right. Because they're saying that, that women do count women can be full. They can be superheroines. Mm-hmm. They're not just, you know, cause a lot of times, Especially, you know, golden and silver age when sure. there wasn't much in the way of characterization, you would find the there not being a great deal of difference between the female characters and the male characters, except that maybe the female characters would be silly, right? Um, would be, you know, uh, interested in things that you know, 
that the men male characters are not interested in, not really interested in the mission, mm-hmm. but interested in getting married or right, other right, things. Right. And so here we have a character, and and there's there's things represented. You know, she has an Alfred, but her Alfred is her father. Mm-hmm. You know, so he he trains her. He does all the things that that the various people. Um, who trained Batman do and who served Batman do, but he cares about her because it's a family, it's a direct family relationship. Right. And it's different from an Alfred mm-hmm. uh, relationship to the family and the butler and so forth. And, and so this is a different kind of relationship that emerges out of the character's gender, the character's sex, the character's femininity, but she's still full kick-ass, total great superheroine. Right. Um, and she's... What I love is the the, the origin section um, that comes up in the last... If you buy the... Uh, if you buy the collected edition, there's like a... I think it's a, essentially a three-issue origin section. Mm-hmm. And J.H. Williams draws it just the way Mazzucanelli drew Batman Year One. Oh, wow. It's the same exact look because they're saying this is equal, mm-hmm. right? This is the same. Her origin is just as valid as Batman's origin. Sure, sure. And again, you have to look at the relationships of the panels, the relationships to other comics. Um, you can't just get that out of reading the words and the pictures in an isolated way. When you teach, when you teach these classes uh, to students, and I see this, and, and I, I'll admit I've done it myself, read the comic, done, move on. How many times do you think we should really be reading a comic? Well, I, I don't know. Um, it depends on the comic, of course. And, um, you know, in class you only kind of have a chance to, to read things once, but it's really a matter of spending the time to think about to think about these things and it's helpful mm-hmm. to go in and be able to start opening it up for students and it, it right. there's going to be I'm going to talk about mouse in a minute and mm-hmm. and there's some of this stuff that I only realized by teaching it. Yeah. Well, I mean it's odd because you know I I I often tell students when I'm when we're talking film, you know, you really need to see a movie 3 times. You yeah. need to go in first and just let it flow over you and just experience it and be in the moment of everything, right? You just need to enjoy it for what mm-hmm. it is. Then you need to watch it again and start paying attention to the acting aspect of it and then go and then likewise the directing, but then go back and watch it again and then look at all the technical aspects of it to really appreciate and see what's going on. And that includes, uh, you know, the editing, the, the, the lighting, special effects, those kinds of things. And so mm-hmm. it really is a process. It really, uh, and I know that a, a lot of reviewers will go out, see the movie once, and that's what they are reviewing it on but really to have a deep understanding of something requires multiple readings multiple viewings Mm -hmm. in order to appreciate it but i didn't know if there was a magical number like three times to read a comic to really appreciate it because you know like we're both saying here i read Watchmen a dozen times before i finally sat down and someone said oh did you know that there's a visual pattern that's going on throughout it or did you know that Dark Knight Returns is doing this? And then you go back and read it, and you're like, holy crap, I didn't never notice that before. Yeah. In um in a book called Critical Approaches to Comics, uh, Theories and Methods, uh, 
edited by uh, Randy Duncan and, and Matt Smith, mm-hmm. I contributed the essay on genre. And I say, um, you know, multiple readings are necessary for critical analysis. Mm-hmm. And so it's this is it's so funny what you were just saying. We're essentially quoting each other because they say <laughs> the initial reading should just be to make you familiar with the events and characters of the story. Read it as a reader and just experience the story. <laughs> In the second reading, you should begin to engage with the text at a deeper level. Note the conventions of the genre, superheroes, supervillains, love interests, supporting cast, costumes, superpowers, setting, equipment, right? Um, see how they're used. Are they treated seriously, humorously, problematically? Look for structural pairs. Yeah. Events, characters, icons, settings that reflect a comment on each other. A third reading is often necessary to attend to the sequential artistry of the comic book. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, in, in that, that is a great book, by the way, Critical Approaches to Comics, because it what uh, 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 Matt Smith and Randy Duncan did was they got mm-hmm. really good uh, scholars to come from different disciplines to show you how to do a reading of a book according – a comic book, a graphic novel, according yeah. to a specific disciplinary approach. G- give us that title one more time. It's called Critical Approaches to Comics, okay. Theories and Methods. And so – you know, available obviously, Amazon, yep, uh, and and other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I I have actually used my chapter. Um, yeah, you can get a Kindle version for mm-hmm. twelve bucks. Yep, uh, paperbacks or more. You know, but I've used my chapter in there for students. I've had them write genre, um, genre analyses of super. When I taught a superhero class, I had them do that, and I do a mm-hmm. reading of. Uh, of um, Superman, the Grant Morrison. Uh, oh, uh, Last Son. Not Last Son. Um, I should I should know what this is. Um, <laughs> let me see. Uh, the you know it's the year in Superman's life. Um, all Star, not All Star. All Star Superman. That's okay. It. Yeah, and uh, and how that how that works. Mm-hmm. So um, I recommend that book highly. Um, and so just getting that kind of disciplinary approach, it does take at least those three readings if you're going to do any serious work on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny that – wow. Yeah. Um, so now I want to talk about Mouse. Okay. And so um, we've all read Mouse and mm-hmm. uh, um, it's important. And, and I had read it and taught it several times and then I was reading it and you know – you turn the page and it's they're about to go into Auschwitz and it's Arbeit macht frei. Mm-hmm. And the next page where Artie goes, My God. Well, when I read it, I actually dropped the comic book. It was like an electric shock went through me mm. because I figured something out. I'd been noticing this pattern. Okay. And then I got it. And there was an argument that's in the sequential artistry that is not in the words at all. So with with the with the um, you know with the Dark Knight Returns, Gordon says he's too big. Okay, so you have these words, and then then Yandel repeats. So you have these words that confirm the uh, the this reading of the book. Sure. But the reading I'm just about to give you, I it's just I paid attention to the relationship. So you can you can picture page for mouse um, yep. in the present. You you frequently have eight panels per page or six panels per page. They're mm-hmm. all the same size. Mm-hmm. You have two columns, right? Four rows or three rows. 
And if you look, the, the capital panel, that's what I call the first panel on the page. I like to use the capital panel and the punctuation panel, right? Sure. That's the first and last. These are just terms I came up with okay. to talk about them. So the capital panel doesn't have a top border, mm. okay? Oftentimes, it's, it's, uh, it's borderless, okay? Yeah. All right, so that's one thing. And if you look at the panels from the past, they, they don't have a pattern. They... There's all sorts of different layouts of the page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, no two pages look exactly the same. And the capital panel has a border. Well, what does this mean? Well, it means that the present is stable, right? Right. Nobody, nobody's going to come in to Artie's, Artie's house in New York and kick his door. Nazis are not going to come and drag you off to the concentration camp in the 1980s in New York, sure. 70s in New York. It's just not going to happen. And, and, and it's open, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's stable, secure, and it's open. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, okay? Mm-hmm. The past was unstable. You, you, don't, you don't know what the page pattern is going to be because you never know when the Nazis are going to show up. You, don't, you have to run out of town. You have to hide in here, hide in here, right? Right. And it's closed. The capital panel has a line drawn across it. Hmm. The past is mm-hmm. sealed. You can't mm-hmm. go back and change the past, mm-hmm. right? Now, the Arbeit Mark Fry page is, has the only – it's not exactly a single panel, but, but it's, it's, it's got a it's, – it's, it's sort of one page. You have the, 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 the concentration camp down at the bottom, and it goes up, and there's a truck on top. But it's, mm-hmm. a, and, and it, in fact – is open. It's it's the whole page is there, right? Okay, and so it's really the one of the only, or maybe the only panel from the past, page from the past that starts out with an open capital panel. I, I believe I believe it's the only one. Okay. Well, you turn the next page, and can you guess what happens? Everything. When Artie says, "My God," everything's closed. It's closed. You know why? You can't write poetry after Auschwitz. Mm. The Holocaust will always be with us. The past closes off the present. Anti-Semitism is always with us. The Nazis permanently changed humanity. Yeah. And so, you know, you talk about intent. I don't know. But it's there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's totally there. In a way that it's not there in the words. It's not there in the pictures. It's there in the sequence, the huh. page layout. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, um, and at, a, at another level, just now I'm going to do a, a really quick reading, and this is more like a, a painting. One of the things that I think about, about comics and comic scholarship and comic studies is that we don't have enough art historians. Mm-hmm. Why? Because if you, if you went into your department and said, I'm going to write my PhD on comics, I, I actually think they get you arrested. <laughs> I think that well, police they certainly come. Don't, they certainly don't uh, o- open their arms and say, yes, right. please. They yeah. just, they just you know. look at you like, whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't. You don't get to do it. So <laughs> in, in this page, we have, we have the opening of the gates. And it says, Arbeit macht frei across right, the top. Right. On the far left is a truck, which is just parked inside the gates. And a, a, a mouse Jew, right, is opening mm-hmm. the back. 
and there's a there's a, a Nazi guard standing next to him. <clears throat> there's a and he's headed to the left. Right. There's a dog who's headed to the left as well. Mm-hmm. There's another Nazi uh, a guard with a club who's looking kind of to the left. And then on the far right is another guard, and he's also looking to the left. So we read comics from left to right. Mm-hmm. But everything in this page, everything in this picture is forcing us to go to the left. Yeah. Well, that's unnatural. Right. You know what else is unnatural? Putting people in ovens. Yep. So he's forcing you to do something you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what else you don't want to do? You don't want to go into Auschwitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's making an argument about the unnaturalness, the inhumanity, the anti-humanity of the Holocaust. But he's not doing it in the words, hmm. right? And this mm-hmm. is happening actually in the picture. Right. So this is slightly different because comics, because there's still pictures, can take advantage of all the tools of of the still picture painter, the still draw, you know, the, the, the static kind of set picture. Okay. And, you know, can be, it can be added. So that is something that, that in mouse comes up repeatedly. There's a, there's another thing. Um, if you look throughout the book, you know, someone's going to die and you know how they're going to die. They make the death face. The Mm -hmm. death face is, a, a face is on page one fifteen of of um, of Mouse, the first one. Okay, the a character y- you see, kind of, it's a triangular shape of the head, and the mouth is open, and they're they're crying. There, there's this, they're you know, literally crying. So, mm-hmm. uh, Vladek was talking about one of his cousins, Haskell, and and uh, uh, anyway, so he's talking about a millionaire who gets taken away, right? Mm-hmm. And so anybody with that face dies. Artie's brother dies, mm. and Artie's brother makes that face. Interesting. So, you know, he makes it at birth. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is when uh, Richelieu makes that face at its birth, and he mm-hmm. makes that face. So he's going to die. Mm. And so that death face comes up repeatedly. It is a, um, it, it, it's a motif. And, and Vladek makes that face one time. He's being beaten by by um, by a, a, a Nazi guard, and mm-hmm. you know he dies in the book. Mm. And what's interesting is, you know, and so there you see you see Jews in the uh, in the chambers. They're making the face. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens over and over again. And Artie, this is just when uh, it, it's a scene in his. It's just after the time flies panel. He's being interviewed. Mm-hmm. He he's it's when he's kind of shrunken down into being a little kid. Right. He cries and he makes that face. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? He didn't die in the Holocaust, but he carries the Holocaust with him. It he's going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you have to see you can't again see that as an individual image. You have to connect those images across each other, across time, across the comic book, in a way that enables you to to read the the actual yeah themes of the book yeah yeah fascinating again i'm going through the through the pages in the art right now looking at this going oh god you're right on and, and the nice thing about doing this on the internet is you can just type it in yeah 
And you can just look at these pages literally right next to one another, panels right next to one another. Yeah. And see them. And so um, um, one great book for this is Asterios Polyp. Mm-hmm. Um, Asterios Polyp, Randy Duncan, and he does an analysis of Asterios Polyp for that book uh, uh, that we talked about. And he talks about it as sort of the most comics-y book of all books. Mm-hmm. It It really relies upon sequential artistry and your ability to read it. And you get so much more out of it if you pay attention to things like lettering, mm-hmm. uh, color, panel layout, panel borders, every element of sequence carries thematic meaning uh, uh, about the char- specifically about the character of Asterius Paul because he's a central character, mm-hmm. but but the other characters, the, you know, the way they're feeling, the way that the the, the emotions and, and emotional states and and relationships and all of those things that we see, we're so used to seeing in in literary novels and in literature mm-hmm. represented through words, and here we have it represented through words, pictures, and relationships because right. comics are not literature, comics are comics. Yeah. Comics are about sequence mm-hmm. and relationships. Far out. Yeah. Far out, man. Dr. Peter Coogan. A lot to think about this month. I, I'm just, I'm constantly blown away every time, you know, you think you know, I know people are like, oh, well, such and such character appeared on this date and this one was written by an art by this guy and then it's like, yes, but what's the story about? What is mm-hmm. it, what's it actually telling us? Yeah, and when we go in and explore that, comics becomes such a rich experience and yes. so much more than just a throwaway medium. Yes, and it can also help you identify crappy, horrible comics. It, it can, but sometimes crappy horror comics uh, are that uh, palate cleanser that you need. No, uh, this is this is the thing about <laughs> about identity crisis. Yeah, uh, I have a kind of a so I was helping a student he wanted to do his senior project on identity crisis because he loved the mm-hmm. book he thought it was mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm. and I started to read it and I started to show him these things yeah. it's like look look where who get where are the single panel pages mm-hmm. right where are what is the relationship here what is it saying and and by the time we got done he didn't like the comic book so much because <laughs> there's there's just one thing that I want to I want to mention with Identity Crisis, okay. you know, as a, as a misogynistic book. Yes. So the voiceover, you know, the the caption, right, mm-hmm. panels, right? That's kind of a privileged position. Right. You have characters who get these caption panels, and they're talking, and and they're talking essentially. It's like the voiceover in a movie, right? Right. So it's kind of a privileged position, and so. You know, the elongated man gets gets uh, mm-hmm. uh, a caption panel, it's a and it's colored yeah. orange. Yeah. Okay, that makes perfect sense, right? When Green Arrow gets a caption panel, it's colored green. green. Yep. When the Atom gets a caption panel, it's colored blue. Mm-hmm. Nightwing, black. Right. Right? Black Lightning, yellow. Robin, also yellow, but with red letters, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So we, we have even... Uh, You know, um, so these characters get it. Now, there are two female characters in the book. This is a Justice League book, right? Right. right. So if you wanted to represent Wonder Woman, you know, you might give her red. You could give red, white, or blue. You could Mm -hmm. give, you know, you could give a a blue box with a gold. uh, You could give gold. You could use, but Wonder Woman doesn't get 
a caption thing. Hmm. Right? Black Canary does. Okay? But Black Canaries is not a caption in the same sense. It's her, it happens diegetically, it happens within the story. She's right. telling somebody else what happened. Ah, so okay. it's not that privileged voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, there are two female characters who get caption boxes. Lois Lane mm-hmm. and Sue Dibney. Mm-hmm. Now, if what would you want to represent Lois Lane as if you were going to give her a caption box? What color would you use and what font would you use? Hmm. How would you want to well, represent Lois Lane? New, newspaper. Newspaper. You'd use a newspaper mm-hmm. color, right? Right. And you might even use the Daily Planet font, which DC has worked so hard to establish so that it's clean <laughs> out, right? They haven't done that work. Yeah. Okay. Guess what color she gets? I don't know. Pink. Ugh. You know why? She's a girl. She's Superman's girlfriend. Yeah. Guess what color Sue Dibney gets? Purple. Purple. Girl purple. So this is saying that the women in this story, right? Like Zantana. Mm-hmm. You could represent her some kind of black and white thing. Yeah. You could represent Black Canary through some kind of fishnet thing. Mm-hmm. No. No. They don't get that. You know what they get? Women get women get their value the is in their color. relationship to men. Yeah. So I have a hard time after recognizing this. I have a hard time reading Identity Crisis as well. Anything, a lot of but, a lot of people have. Oh, a hard I know. Time reading that just because of of what they do. I yes. mean, you know, if, if Frank Miller says that comic books are going to get dark, Identity yeah. Crisis says uh, comics yes. are going to get disturbing. Absolutely. But the the point is, it's more than just the story, right? This seems to be super intentional. I mean, I don't want to talk about intention, right? right? But it's hard to read. Like, they picked colors. Maybe mm-hmm. the colors picked it, and the writer and artist didn't have anything to do with it. Doesn't seem likely. Mm. But somebody picked those colors. Yeah. And they gave Lois Lane. That's, that's just really weird. I mean, when you think about it, that is just really weird because uh, as you set it up, you asked the question. I said, eh, newspaper, right? Times New right. Roman and, uh, you know, an, an off-white. Right. I mean, that's the first thing that came to mind. Why exactly. not? Why pink? Why doesn't Wonder Woman get a caption box? Why, why doesn't does Black Canary she have, accept? Yes. Why, why, doesn't they get, why don't they get an equal one with the Flash and Green Arrow and mm-hmm. the Atom? Mm-hmm. Why? Why would that be? Because. <laughs> right. Women are not central to the genre in the opinion of some comics creators. Interesting. Yeah. So much food for thought. Dr. Peter Coogan. There you go. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your knowledge again this month. And uh, we're going to get you back in a couple of weeks. So uh, listeners, be on the lookout for that. If you have any kind of a particular topic that you would like for us to discuss, Dr. Coogan, just send it to podcast at majorspoilers.com. And um, where are you presenting, speaking? What are you doing next? Anything coming up? Uh, gosh, I don't think I have, uh, any specific comics related things coming up, uh, in a little bit. I'm working on a book, um, about superheroes. Cool. Uh, yeah. And, and, and false, I'm teaching, I'm teaching a class at Wash U on comics, which I've traditionally taught as a kind of a survey class, mm-hmm. but I'm moving it more into kind of a visual literacy, reading comics as sequential art. Does that, does that uh, university have a, have a program specifically in comics and sequential art like, uh, Bowling Green does? 
I think it's Bowling Green. No, I don't think Bowling Green has a what's, comics. What's the one up in Ohio that has the... Uh, well, Ohio State has oh, okay. a library there, the Wexner Center in the right. library. But I thought they, they also have, had a, a... Well, yeah, I think Jared Gardner is there, and he has maybe built a minor, but I'm oh, not okay. certain about that. And okay. uh, actually, Indiana, uh, Andre Moltau, I have a hard time pronouncing his name, um, <laughs> he, he has a... Uh, they have... Um, I can't remember if it's, it's a program or a, a minor or maybe a major, and mm-hmm. he's heading it up. Um, so they've got something going on there. And you know, there's more and more of these things. Actually, it's one of the projects I want to work on. I'd like to, to get make a map of comic scholarship. Well, I think places it would, you can go and so I, forth. So. I think it'd be, if you wanted to take it a step further, go pop culture studies. Yeah, uh, because I think that's even more fascinating because of, you know, uh, for example, I taught that Star Wars class a couple of years ago. I've taught comic book classes before, and um, it, it's fascinating just to see where they spring up and how popular they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I know people think that it's, oh, why am I let my kid learn about comic books at college with the tuition? But ladies and gentlemen, you just got an, a free hour long lecture. Yep. Oh, well, actually, I one time had a student tell me that that she was reading, you know, she's reading a comic book, right? And mm-hmm. her mom said, you need to be doing your homework. And she looked at her and said, <laughs> I am. This is my homework for my yeah, class. That's great. Um, so that was funny. And, and I teach an American culture studies program. And, uh, you know, comics are taught in all sorts of different programs. And it's it's oftentimes emerges out of a particular relationship with a particular person. When I taught at, mm-hmm. at Webster, I taught several comics classes in different departments, and that came because I said to the communications department, hey, I, I just published my book, and I said, hey, can I teach a comics class? And they said, we know you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's – it's, but it's, it's rare that it gets actually – you know, into a program. Yeah, beyond just a beyond single just class or a survey yeah. class or something like that. Yeah. But that's normal for any discipline goes through these goes through growing things. And I think comics will we'll get there. Was was it you that were telling me and I know we're we'll wrap up here, but was it you that was telling me a couple of years ago that universities that have pop culture studies programs have higher enrollments than universities and schools that do not. I did not. Uh, that is not something that I would have said. Oh, because okay. I don't, I don't know that to be true. Okay. It does not surprise me. Somebody, um, somebody had mentioned that to me years ago, and I tried to pitch it to our dean, and he just kind of was like, um, I don't know if that's something I want to take to the president or yeah, not. But. Yeah. Now, uh, my, my class coming up, for example, had a, uh, had a limit of 30, and I have – you know, 40 people. So I have 10 people on the wait list. And yeah. I was just asked, you know, what do we want to do? Because one, one year I had 60, right? Oh, yeah. 30 people on the wait list. And I said, they asked me if I wanted a TA. And I was like, nah, you know, I just give me another section of it. And, <laughs> uh, and in most schools, if you had 30 people, you yeah. know, automatically wash you is a little bit different. It's not tuition driven. So they were mm-hmm. like, well, nobody's paid for that. I was like, what? And they have a different system they came yeah, up yeah, with yeah. money and, and did it right so right, right. yeah um and this year you know we had 40 people and they asked me well what do you want to do and i said well because there's no ta for it and mm-hmm. i said well here's the problem i i have a hard time saying no <laughs> so <laughs> first of all secondly i i typically we just open it up and then it, mm-hmm. tend, it tends to you know yeah, it tends to shrink couple, down after, after about three weeks, weeks yeah or, you know you know it gets down about 33 and it's like i'm okay with 33 yeah. Um, but the other thing is like, if I, 
you know, I always tell my students the first day of class, you have just had more classes in comics than I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there were no classes in comics. No, I mean, no. That I mean, wasn't mm-hmm. it um, Michael Huslin taught the first yeah, comics yeah. course? And that was before I was in college. But um, the point is, like, I would hate to say to somebody, no. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, they graduate. And, uh, but typically those people are going to get to take it the next year. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, you know, I, I, if I, I actually was, took a King Arthur class and I had to take it at the same time as, as a German history class, I had to miss <laughs> one day a week because it was overlapped. Oh yeah. And yeah. they let me do it because I was like, I have to take that King Arthur class, mm-hmm. but I needed the German history class to graduate. Wow. And so they just went, oh, okay, you can do it. So they're very nice about it and let me do it. But that's what would, that's why I would feel terrible if I just said, you know, here it is. On the other hand, I you know I don't, I don't want sixty people in my class. Well, it, it you know it quadruples your workload. I mean, it's surprising, well, yeah. but it actually does increase that workload so yeah. much. And you know, with August coming up, that does mean schools in session. Uh, if you are interested in comic studies, of course, we can talk more about that. And of course, Dr. Peter Coogan back uh, on a very regular basis this year. Uh, but go check out MOOCs. Go check out some online universities because they may have some very massive uh, open uh, community courses uh, that you can t- uh, take for free and uh, go check those out because they're out there. Uh, there was a great one a few years ago about uh, women in comics. Uh, that was fantastic. Uh, so there's there's free stuff out there if you if you just go and look for it. Dr. Peter Coogan, I want to thank you again for your time uh, this week. Thank you, Stephen. Have a great night. Man. I really love that interview with Dr. Peter Cook, and I always love having him around because sharing this knowledge, sharing these theories and ideas about comic books and how to read them, interpret them, and, and what's going on, it's always so much fun. I hope that you enjoy that because I know I do, and I really would love to hear from you. Uh, Dr. Coogan and I were talking quickly after that interview about what to do in August, and man, we would really love to have some of your feedback. Maybe there's something that you would like for us to discuss. If so, just drop me an email, podcast at Majorspoilers.com, or call the Major Spoilers hotline. There's a link right there in the show notes. And if you're on your mobile device, you can just click on that uh, link to the phone number, and it'll open up your phone app, and it'll call us directly to the Major Spoilers hotline, and you can leave your message there. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for leaving those very nice reviews that you do over at uh, iTunes and on Majorspoilers.com. We're going to talk to you next time, because we know that you love comics. We do, too. Take care. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm Stark Raven 
it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read up on all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Whoa, 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 whoa! What a major spoiler! This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment LLC. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.